So, uh, so we're continuing with the story of Ruth, uh, with uh, Ruth chapter 3. Hear now the word of our Lord. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on your perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he is finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not rung after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the women of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. I, I put it twice in here. If he wants to do your duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. So, I don't think this statement will, will be controversial. Maybe. I'm just going to say it, because I have courage. 20-year-olds are stupid. <laughs> they just are. Um, 
Uh, and, and I don't say this to be mean. Um, it's scientifically proven. It is a fact, right? Um, uh, there's this area of your brain, right? It's called the prefrontal cortex. And this area of your brain is in charge of all your, uh, uh, all your judgment, right? Your, uh, your, your long-term thinking, your if I do this today, this is going to affect me tomorrow, all of that stuff, right? It's the thing that, that rings in all of your youthful impulses, right? It's, it, it, it's the gate. And scientists tell us that in women, it's not fully fused until they're about 24 years old. And in men, it's more like 27, right? So scientifically, biologically speaking, 20-year-olds are stupid. Now, you probably didn't need a textbook to tell you that, right? You could probably think back to your own 20s and, and, and think about some things that maybe you wish you had back, right? Things that maybe you did that could be uh, 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 classified as stupid, I can think of a couple from my own life. Uh, probably, uh, 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 probably the highest, uh, the top one, uh, would be beginning my life of crime. See, it all started with a $15 check to Oasis Pizza. Here's a fact of, another fact about 20-year-olds, usually. 20-year-olds are stupid and 20-year-olds are poor, right? And so me and my buddies wanted to share a, uh, a, a, a large pizza together, and none of us have money, but who needs money when you have a checkbook, right? And so, uh, and so I wrote a $15 check to Oasis Pizza, and, and, and that covered the deal. That was back when you could do that. Now, I had a mailbox on campus, and uh, I was living in an apartment off of campus, and so, uh, and so this mailbox would get mail and it would fill up and fill up and fill up. And I think at, at, at the end of the year, they probably just burned it all. Now, while I was living off campus and I was receiving this mail, I was receiving uh, some mail um, uh, uh, informing me that my check to Oasis Pizza had bounced and that they were going to run it again. And then a couple weeks later, we're running it again. And a couple weeks later, we're running it again and if it doesn't go through this time, we're, uh, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're contacting the law, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, uh, and, and so uh, $15 plus $30 plus $30 plus $30, you know, uh, it was a $105 problem unbeknownst to me. Because like I said, 20-year-olds are stupid. So one morning... Um, I am uh, sitting on the couch with my girlfriend at the time, and a knock comes on the door, and, uh, and, and, and open the door, and uh, it's a police officer. And the police officer says, unless you have $105, you're coming with me. And I did not. And so, and this, this is the part I like to emphasize right here. Because I was uh, surrendering myself voluntarily, I got to ride in the front of the police car. Right? That's, when you're thinking about this later, you make sure you include that detail. Then we got to uh, that little town of Barberville. We got to, uh, to their holding cell. 
right? They didn't have a jail. They had a place where they, they kept people uh, and, until they shipped them to the jail to be booked and everything. And, uh, but, I mean, to me, this is the real deal, right? The, uh, the, the big iron door like closed behind me and I was on a, a, a stone bench alone in this room with swastikas on the wall and, and, and a, little, uh, a little light bulb swinging back and forth and flickering, right? It, like it, it, it felt real, right? They did a good job with it. I remember sitting there on that stone bench and thinking to myself, what am I going to do? Because this $105 problem had just become like a $300 problem because of what it was going to cost to, to, to get me out of there. What am I going to do? All of my friends are twingy and stupid and poor too. They can't help me. I can't call the people at church because, because I work for them. I was a part-time youth pastor. <laughs> right? I, I, I could lose my job over this, you know, uh, uh, and it started to dawn on me. If I get booked, I, I, I can't go back to being a youth pastor. I've done hard time. <laughs> I, I might have to become a rapper or something. I don't know. <laughs> then I thought about my parents. I can't call my parents. I mean, they could fix it, right? They have the money and they would do it, right? But I can't call my parents. They can't know about this. What am I going to do? Have you ever been there? But hopefully not in a holding cell. Nope, some of you, I don't know. Open hearts, open doors, open minds. <laughs> But have you ever been in that place where, 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 where you are at the end of your rope, where, where, uh, where you need someone to do for you what you cannot do for yourself, where you are in need of a rescue and you're not sure exactly who you can call? Have you ever been there? If you have, then you have been in need of redemption. If you have, you have needed a redeemer. Now, Dr. Sandra Richter, who's been leading our, our Bible study downstairs, uh, has coined this word, biblish. And, uh, and, 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 and here's what she means by that. It's a word that, that comes from the Bible uh, that we use in church, but that, 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 that we don't really know the definition to, most of us. And we use it so much and in so many different ways that it's basically become gibberish. It's biblish. In redemption is one of those words, right? We sing it. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. But what does redemption mean? If I went around the room, we'd probably give a bunch of different answers. It's biblish. Well, it comes from the Old Testament. And it's actually, before it was ever a religious term, it was a legal term. It is a legal term for, uh, for something or someone uh, that, 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 that needs, the, that, the, the price needs to be paid for, right? Those people that fall outside of, of the circles of kinship. 
if they fall outside of the circles of kinship, then someone needs to take on the responsibility, include them in their family. That person needs redeemed, right? We, we have redemption um, in, in, in our own time. Imagine, um, imagine if you're having trouble making ends meet, right? You weren't sure how you're going to get through the end of the month, and you came up with this bright idea uh, that, that I'm going to pawn my mother's engagement ring, right? Or my grandmother's engagement ring. So you go down to the pawn shop, you, you, uh, you, you give them the ring and they give you the money that you need to make it through the month. And then at the end of the month, your plan is to go back and get it. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But see, the ring is in need of redemption. The ring needs someone to come along and to pay the price and to redeem it, to reclaim it. That's redemption. In our story, there, uh, 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 there, there are multiple uh, 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 people and things in need of redemption, right? There's a land, a piece of land that is in need of redemption. See, when, uh, when Elimelech and his, his family clan um, left the land behind um, uh, uh, to go off in search of a better life in Moab, the land was abandoned, no one living in it, no one tending it. It needs redemption or it's going to lie fallow and it's not going to produce a harvest. Someone needs to claim it and, and, and pay the price for it and, uh, and, 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 and pay the cost of working it and, and, and bringing it back to what it should be. Naomi is in need of redemption. She's lost um, her husband and she's lost her sons. She has no one to take care of her. She needs someone to claim her and to take all of the cost associated with claiming her. She needs redemption. Ruth is in need of redemption. She's lost her homeland. She's lost her husband. She's come to, uh, to Bethlehem a stranger. She needs a man to marry her, who, who, who will protect her and defend her, who will provide for her, who will represent her legally if she needs to be represented legally. She needs all of that. They're all crying out for redemption. So, Ruth and Naomi decide to take matters into their own hands. They hatch a, uh, a harebrained scheme. Now, there are children here, so I'm going to be very careful how I put this. Okay? I'm just going to tell you, you can go back and read the third chapter of Ruth later on your own time. I'm going to tell you it can be read on two levels. One level is rated G, and one level is, is rated R. I probably cut the difference. I think it's a PG-13 story. It depends on how you translate some euphemisms. But the scheme is basically this. Naomi tells Ruth, I want you to, uh, to go to Boaz tonight after he's drunk with his friends and they've been working hard 
and, uh, and, and, and he goes to sleep in the threshing floor. I want you to go, and I want you to cuddle up next to him. I want you to uncover his feet, maybe, right? I want you to uncover, take his blanket off of him, right? I, I, I want you to snuggle up next to him. And then when he wakes up, he's not going to know how you got there. Right? And, and he's going to wonder what transpired. And at that moment of weakness and confusion, you need to propose to him. You need to say, make an honest woman out of me. Right? That's the scheme. A lot of times we just kind of gloss over that. Right? But, but this is the scheme. You're, 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 you're going to catch him in a moment of confusion. Um, he, he's he's going to wonder what's, what's going on. And, uh, and, and at that moment, that's when you're going to pop the question. Now, here's the thing. Naomi and Ruth think they've got to go through all these machinations to make this possible. They think, uh, they, they think they've, they've, they've got to go, uh, they've, they've got to launch this scheme, launch this, uh, this harebrained plan to get Boaz to say yes. They think they've got to catch him when he's vulnerable or else he'll say no. They're taking matters into their own hands. It's like we do all the time. After all, they really don't have much to offer, right? If this piece of land were worth much, you know, it would be enticing, but it doesn't seem to be because no one seems to really want it. Or else it would have been claimed already. It's probably more trouble than it's worth. You know what else is more trouble than the worth? Mother-in-laws, right? No one seems to want an extra one of those. There's no dowry. Ruth has nothing to offer. And so they think they've got to trick Boaz into saying, Yes. But Boaz makes it clear. He's after one thing. He says, my daughter, this kindness you've shown me, this is even greater than the kindness that you showed to Naomi. Now, this Hebrew word kindness is this word that we're going to learn about in our study. It's called hesed. And hesed is, is, is a word for, uh, for, for God's covenant loyalty. It's, it's one of those really hard-to-translate words in the Bible. Sometimes it's translated as love. Sometimes it's translated as kindness. Um, sometimes it's translated as loyalty. Uh, the King James often uh, just jams two words together, loving kindness it's all this word hesed. It describes God's covenant love for God's people. It's God's basis for doing all the things that God does. And Boaz says, I see your love. I see your love. And I will make sure this happens. See, Ruth and Naomi think they have to go through all these machinations. They've got to come up with this elaborate scheme. But Boaz only wants one thing. 
Boaz wants Ruth's heart. Stick a pin in that for a second. See, there I was on that stone bench, right? Uh, a little light bulb swinging, swastikas behind me. What am I going to do? Now, I, I've seen enough movies, right? I know that I get a phone call, right? And when I get that phone call, I'm going to get one shot at this. Who am I going to call? And I'm going through the list in my head. And it's starting to dawn on me that I'm going to have to call my parents who live two, maybe three hours away who are not going to want to come down and deal with this. And suddenly, the door opens. There's an officer at the door who says, looks like you're free to go. Free to go? I never got my call. I walked down the hall, and there was this little desk, and there was the you know, officer sitting behind the desk. And there was the, the, the girl I was dating at the time, pulling out her wallet and plunking down the $300 to redeem my sorry butt. Now, 20-year-olds are stupid. But this one was at least smart enough to know that if someone is willing to do that for you, you don't let her get away. And I proposed to Crystal <laughs> two or three weeks after that, probably. See, redemption is about love. It's a love story. And we need to not lose, this, lose sight of that. As we begin to tell the story of the Old Testament, as we begin, begin to get into the details and put some meat on the bones, we don't need to lose sight of the fact that all boils down to a love story. It all boils down to, to, to the rightful Redeemer doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You see, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul said, uh, no stranger to prison himself. The Apostle Paul said uh, uh, that, that at just the right time, while we were yet sinners, God proves his love toward us in this. He laid down his life for us. I'm not sure he said it all in that order. I was trying to capture it all. But that's the gist. While we were yet sinners, Christ laid down his life for us. At just the right time, when we needed him most. Beginning to end, this story that, that, that begins uh, in a broken Egan and, and ends with the restored Egan, beginning to end, this is a redemption story, a love story. A story about a heavenly father that, that, that will do anything, pay any cost to bring his wayward children back into his circle. It's about you and I locked up, needing someone to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. 
if we believe in that, if we hold on to that, if we accept that, then, then, then we can stand and we, we, we can say in the words of Job, I know that my Redeemer lives and that he walks upon the earth. Do you know that your Redeemer lives? It's a love story. And you don't have to pay the price back. God asks not one ounce of blood in return. You don't have to pay the price back. It's given to you free of charge. All he asks is the only thing you have to give is your heart. It's your love your loyalty, your kindness. That's all he asks in return. So, if you're still on the fence, if you're still trying to figure out, am, am, am I going to accept this redemption on my behalf? Let me give you some advice. Don't be stupid. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.